102, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Cut. Paul Masson. Another episode of the Daily Screening Podcast. My name, as always, is Daily, uh, and joining me this week is my partner in rich, Skypey. Re- rich reclusive crime, Bartholomew Devon. Uh, you could be Skypey hey. too. Yeah, we're jo- joining us uh, remotely via Skype. Uh, hey, buddy. We're, uh, we're going to see how this... Yeah, so if there are stutters, it's your fault. Yeah, or Skype. Oh, man, there's so much hiccuping happening. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we'll, there might be some audio issues. I'm going to have to tweak the fuck out of this audio. Uh, if you're hearing this right now in e- one person in each ear at a time, um, look, I'm sorry. Uh, there was only so much I could do. But I'm going to... Hopefully I will have overcome that problem. Uh, but also joining us this week, again, is, uh, I guess, our... Uh, since... My lovely wife and certified film scholar, uh, Jamie, is not here because she hasn't watched this movie in a while. Uh, I guess Jeff Schwartz is here as our film scholar in abstentia, I suppose? I will be the film scholar in residence. There you go. Visiting film scholar. Visiting film scholar. There we go. And I have the notes to prove it. You do. You literally do. Uh, Jamie will be a film scholar emeritus, I guess. There you go. Um, go. One day I hope to be an emeritus. (laughs) Okay, right. Uh, (laughs) This week we we are going full on... Film school here. Yeah, uh, we're talking Citizen Kane. Uh, I, we decided to go go big or go home. It's uh, it's Orson. It was Orson Welles' 100th birthday last week, um, so it seemed. For the record, I recommended Transformers because uh, Unicron Orson Welles also great. It's Unicron also great. Uh, not and that wine representative of his career. Yeah, perhaps <laughs> not. Perhaps not the best representation, but, uh, but oh, still I fantastic. don't know. I would argue that point. I mean, oh, yeah. he was as big as a planet. He- and his ego matched. Uh, wait, are you talking about Unicron, or are you talking about him in that drunken wine ad? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, good. Good answer. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and there was, like I said, we said last week, there was really not much at the box office this week anyway. Uh, all the studios were giving giving Avengers a very wide berth, so, uh, so, so yeah, we'll go, we'll go old school. Um, next week, next week it's going to be all, all Mad Max Fury Road, which we're super excited about oh, yeah. so uh we take a little break for some some scholarly film study here uh now let's so since this is an oldie a classic uh let's sort of go around the horn here uh spoilers 
Well, anyway. <laughs> Fuck spoilers. <laughs> this movie's 70 years old. That's true. <laughs> also, it's the sled. There you go. There it's are all the your sled. spoilers. It's the fucking sled. You knew sled. it if you saw The Simpsons, yeah, let alone if you saw this fucking movie. Exactly. Um, so, uh, I guess my question is, you know, we, this was not a first viewing for any of us. We've all seen this movie before. Um, so, I, my, my question, I guess, is sort of, what's your, what's your history Citizen Kane, like how you know how many times have you seen it, or do you, did you enjoy it? Like, where what 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 are the circumstances under? What's your history coming into this particular screening? Uh, and Bart, you're far away, so since Jeff is, has the added benefit of sitting in front of me, I'm going to Jeff first. I'm sorry, dude, you lose out. That's what you lose out on by not being here. <laughs> I'm just gonna give you shit oh, for not being. What it in, is? Yeah, I'm gonna give you shit for not being in the room the, all the whole podcast. That's cool, right? You're not gonna have a problem with that. <laughs> all right, good, good, glad that we worked. I could out. just hang up on you. You could. <laughs> Um, um, Jeff, take it away, sir. Sure. Well, I... <laughs> I'm only here to make fun of you anyway. <laughs> that is true. Uh, let's see. Well, I first, and to, to befit my title for this podcast, mm-hmm. I first saw Citizen Kane in a film class. It was a high school film studies class, which you would think a high school film studies class would not be that great yeah. or not go that deep, but it was actually a really great class. Taught That's... me a lot about sort of formal sort of technical elements of filmmaking. And so I saw it there and, and enjoyed it and... And that's something I want to, like, address, because I think, I love classic movies. Like, sure. from 1920 to 1950s, you know, 60s, like, I love those movies. I love black and white movies. I love old movies. Sure. But I sort of have to, you know, you get in a frame of mind with them where it's like, this is an old movie, so yeah, you yeah. adjust your expectations There in are some sort ways. of hurdles you have to kind of overcome. Right. As a, you, yeah, it's like, oh, well, this, the limitation of the era, not even, like, the limitations uh, but sort of the conventions of the, the conventions era, of the you know? era, the sort of the music, whatever. Yeah, the music, the acting but, style is very different. Yeah, the cinematography is very different. But I'm gonna make the case that I, this movie, in rewatching it, I just saw it a few hours ago, so it's very fresh. It doesn't feel old to me. No, it, it, really, it really like in the filmmaking and even in the acting. I make the exception for his second wife. Who oh is, God, is very Holy irritating Jesus and Christ. not not terribly well written either. But Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, don't make me see Charlie. God. A poison really can develop cool. a cough. <laughs> All I could think of, like every time she opened her mouth, was the fucking kid with the bit finger. Charlie bit uh, my finger. Oh my not, god, I wanted to die. Not altogether dissimilar, but Jesus. but I think the rest of the movie really, really holds up. I think Wells does really like good subtle acting. I mean, yeah. you, and you don't often associate Wells and subtlety, but like I feel like compared to acting of that era and even acting within that movie, like he's playing it within himself. Yeah, he's really a underplaying more. a lot of it. Yeah. So like I think this is a classic movie, quote in quotes, that feels like. A modern movie in some respects. Yeah, like, no, I, they, I will totally get on board with you there. Um, I, uh, yeah, that was that was what struck me the first time that I saw it as well, was that it's like, you you know, it, Citizen Kane has this, you know, the reputation of being the greatest movie of all time. You yeah. know, the number one on everybody's number it's, one list. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it. so, you know, when you hear that and you sort of, you know, you hear that over time and you think, oh, but it's this, you know, this older movie mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm sure it's great for its time, it's great for what it is, mm-hmm. but there's no way it's, you know, it really lasts. It's like, oh, it's respect for that era. But no, like that, that was exactly how I felt the first time I saw it. I was like, Jesus Christ, like you could make this movie today, like shot for shot, and it would yeah. still be like one of the best movies of any given year for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, Bartos, what is your, uh, what is your sort of initial handshake with this movie how did you how did you first come upon citizen game i don't remember mm. um well i, I would think... be i would assume it was at least in college 
right? I don't think. I mean, it was, right, it was, it was one of two things. High school, so I assume it would have been at least college, right? He had a life. Right. I mean, I, well, that's the I thing. Don't think that's true. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that I. Uh, well, okay. The only thing, I can't remember if I made a point of it to see it in high school. Saw it on PBS by mistake in high school, okay. or saw it in a class in college. I don't remember. Those it's one of those things. Life. So it's been a while anyway, and I've probably seen it once or twice since then, right. but not to the point that I can actively remember it. Um, so I did have to rewatch it, obviously. Well, did you? I mean, how did you? Do you? Do you have any like you know recollections of how you felt about it the first time you saw it? The first time I saw it, yeah, yeah, or uh, you know, an earlier time you saw it before today. Like, what, what was your baggage that you came into this, this recent screening with, I guess? Uh, like, my impressions are just, I had a vague recollection of it being really freaking good. Okay. And so, you know, like, in watching it for today, I was curious to see whether I was remembering it correctly, or if, you know, in the time since I have last seen it, I have learned things that would make it not as good, mm-hmm. or better, or whatever. I mean, I just remember it being generally good. Yeah. Um, in a way that other classic movies, I don't necessarily think are. Sure. Exhibit A, two thousand one, which I love. Oh, I. But I, I lo- love two thousand one. It's one of my favorite. Hold movies. on. Hold on. Whoa. whoa. <laughs> Pump the brakes, baby. <laughs> to me, two thousand one is like Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. Okay. Or like you love it, and it's 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 a thing. But you love it because you're supposed to. Um, and there I are things about it. I, can, I will admit to that. I, I think some people are certainly in that camp. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I, I am not a certified film scholar by any stretch of the imagination. And so I lack the technical knowledge to make it all that it probably is. My, my, I do remember the first time I saw 2001, which was definitely on PBS in high school. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you. I fell asleep. That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> That's, that's totally. Um, that's totally fair. I, I mean, love yeah. The story about Rock Hudson. See, did you, did you I don't know the story. story. Tell me the story. This was the premiere of 2001. This is like walkout central. People yeah. are like, and and Roger. This is from Roger Ebert's original review. And apparently, at one point, Rock Hudson stalks down the aisle, going, "Someone tell me what the fuck this shit is." <laughs> <laughs> so. That's fantastic. That's, yeah, even that's some Hollywood legend, right? There. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's still off topic, but just while we're at it, there, the other two things that I associate with 2001 is Star Trek, the motion picture, the motion picture, the, the yes. Try, yeah, yeah. trying real hard to be 2001. Yeah. And then the other is, is like halfway through the third season of the original series where I just have a vision of like a living room set on a black and white tile floor and everything goes crazy. <laughs> and, and like that's just like that. That's right apart. The, right about the part where I fell asleep. Anyway. Back to this, it's still really good. Yeah, it's, it's still really good. good. And the funny thing is, I've I noticed this time little nods in newer movies that I didn't notice ever before mm-hmm. because I haven't seen it. Like, like at, uh, in that part where they're having the celebration when he gets the the I don't know the editorial board or whoever from the other oh, yeah, newspaper yeah, to come on, and he buys all the right the chronicle, and and yeah. he marches in that marching band. Yes, it's exactly and the like Wolf of Wall Street, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. And I was like, I didn't even think of that when I saw Wolf of Wall Street. And I, it's Yeah, I you know, had the exact nice thing. same reaction. I was like, holy shit, this is like Wolf of Wall Street like took this scene wholesale. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen you're right, I hadn't seen Citizen Kane in such a long time 
that like now you're like, oh my god, it's fucking obvious, well, right? Of course. And yeah. you know Scorsese like yeah. knows this movie inside and out. Oh, absolutely. So, so no, it's fucking phenomenal. And they literally and they sing him a whole song and mm-hmm. oh, it's great. Um, so I will say that my uh, my introduction to this movie, um, it's very specific for me. Um, so my last semester of college, I was living uh, doing a semester program in Los Angeles. Um, and long story short, I was living in like an apartment complex on the ground floor. Uh, somebody popped open my sliding glass door and stole all my shit, including, uh, every DVD that I owned, uh, which I had them all in a book. It was about 102 DVDs and they all, they were all stolen. I was like, fucking. And about this was, 102? But uh, it was like, it was, I think it was 102. It was exactly. approximately precisely 102. <laughs> I remember, I remember it was like, I had just crossed 100 and being very proud about the fact that I owned over 100 movies and then like two weeks later all my shit got taken. Mm. Um, and so, uh, it was like, Karma's a, couple, a bitch. Oh, it was awful. It was like about maybe like mm, halfway in the semester, not even halfway in the semester, basically like a month or so in the semester. Uh, Did they steal your time, time tunnel? Uh, no, because I got time tunnel afterwards, so I still have time tunnel. I still own that That's to awesome. this day. Um, but so uh, man. I immediately set about to like sort of, you know, try to rebuild my collection a little bit. And uh, I was at my at, at our our friend Rob's house, uh, the only other guy I knew in LA. Uh, and I was there, and it was I think it was his birthday, which was also the Super Bowl, and uh, his roommate Zach. Uh, who is now married to Heather, who was my wife's maid of honor, uh, weird coincidences, um, he had a bunch of movies. Um, he had, I had told him, like, oh, yeah, I had all my movies stolen, and he had a bunch of movies that he was getting rid of. And he was like, oh, I, like, these are good movies, I just don't watch them anymore, so I'm, just, I'm trying to clear some space. And so he gave me a bunch of DVDs. And he didn't have cases for them anymore because he just kept them in books. So he just literally sent me home from that party with, like, a stack of, like, loose DVD discs. And one of them was Citizen Kane. Uh, and I have it here. Ah, come on. Ugh, my shelves are very stuffed. And I'm going to pull it out because I literally, like I said, I didn't have a case for it. So I literally, I got an empty, an old DVD case. So it's the legit disc. Oh, in fact, yeah. it's a two-disc. Look at that. Yeah, that's, this that. is what I have. Yeah, yeah. it's a two-disc DVD, uh, and it's a, and so I took an old DVD case, uh, and then I found like an image, a JPEG <laughs> of the sleeve that it <laughs> from goes Turner with. Classic movies. Yeah, exactly from Turner Classic Movies, um, and and made myself a little DVD sleeve with uh, it, and then but the, there was no uh-huh. binding, so I literally just took the title from the front and then like resized it. And had, I spent like hours doing this. I, I love, I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would have done that exact same thing. I have, uh, I there are a couple of these that I still have. So I, it's this, uh, and I can, I know that uh, 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 Usual Suspects is the same way. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure, unless I've replaced it since then. Some of these I've like gone on to replace, uh, but I'm pretty sure my Usual Suspects is the same, is the same situation. If it's on Blu-ray, then. Well, maybe it's not there. I don't see it. Oh, I don't know, man. Anyway, but I have I have a bunch of these that are like that with like home homemade DVD cases, basically. But so anyway, so I watched it. Uh, I don't even think I watched it that semester. I think I went home and I graduated from college, and then I moved back to LA. Uh, and when I first moved to LA, uh, for the first like month or two, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. And everybody, like, I had a lot of friends in L.A., but they all lived about 30, 45 minutes away from me. 
And since I didn't have a car, like, the only way I could get to see anybody is if I could convince them to drive from the valley down to Culver City to, like, pick me up. Um, and so basically, for the first, like, month or so I was in L.A., I just spent a lot of time sitting on a couch watching every DVD <laughs> that I could, like, had in the house that belonged to me or the guy I had just met that I had moved in with. And, like, oh, it was, it was very weird. But I remember watching, watch, sitting on that couch, that couch, Bart, that Rob lived behind. Uh, oh, with the fort? With the fort. Uh, <clears throat> the fusion frenzy couch? The fusion frenzy. So, uh, long story short, we lived, my first apartment in L.A., there were three of us. It was a two-bedroom. And our buddy Rob decided, uh, well, I'm going to, uh, in order to get the cheapest rent, uh, you two take the bedrooms, and I will build a fort behind the couch <laughs> in the living room uh, with, like, PVC pipe and a curtain and it, it's, it was, like, the exact size of a twin mattress. Um, and he basically slept on a mattress on the floor behind the couch uh, and paid yeah, half the rent. It, was, it got really weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, his when, girlfriend with now... Guests, I was going to say. His girlfriend, now wife, came to visit. Uh, at the same time, Bart came to visit for, like, a week. Uh, and we, we there you was, know, there we, didn't get, got, we didn't hang out in the living room a lot. Let's oh, put okay. it that way. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it got, uh, it got weird. <laughs> there was one... So, so, touchdown, if you're hearing this, a thousand apologies, but this was a weird moment in my life. So, But anyway, I remember in that month watching Citizen Kane for the first time and being absolutely blown away by it. Because, it, like you said, you know, you, you have these expectations with older movies that, oh, well, you know, it, you know it's only going to hit a certain level, you know, because of the sort of restrictions and conventions of the era. Um, but I just remember being absolutely floored by it and being like, holy shit, like, this movie is incredible. And then, you know, I knew a little bit about Orson Welles. Uh, I mean, in, in high school, I did a, like, literally we did a radio show. There was mm-hmm. a really shitty, like, budget radio station. But we did, like, a radio show of War of the Worlds. And we, like, used mm-hmm. the original script and we did the whole thing. And so, like, I mean, I, I had a little bit of background about Orson Welles, but I remember literally, like, Googling it while we were watching the movie and then, like, halfway through the movie, just coming upon the fact that Orson Welles made this movie when he was 25 years old and just sitting there thinking, fuck you. Are yeah. you serious? Like, and it's not like he did nothing before this. Oh, no. Like, no, I mean, he, yeah, he was doing Broadway shows. He was yeah. doing... And, like, Mercury Radio. Revolutionary like, Broadway shows. Yeah. Like, the, the all-black Othello, mm-hmm. you know? Or was it Othello, or was it a Shakespeare play? Yeah, I can't remember. Othello. I think it was Othello. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the man did it all. Yeah. Uh, I want to clarify something just real quick. I, when I say I like classic movies, but, you know, I don't want to... I just want to clarify the fact that, like, you know, it's not that I'm shitting on classic movies by any means. It's just no. you, you watch them with different eyes. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and and some of my favorite movies are movies from the, like, you know, from the 20s to the 60s, yeah. you know, so... Just, just, no, no, just you're right. You, you have to, you, that's the thing. You have to bring a different perspective to it. Yeah. It's one of the things that I think frustrates Jamie a lot when we watch Mad Men. We were yeah. just watching it a little while ago, and the finale's coming up this week, uh, you know, is that... She gets really upset with all of the like conventions of how things played out in the sixties or seventies or whatever. Like the one we were just watching, which I mean, I guess spoilers if you haven't watched this week's Mad Men. This probably won't come out. You don't tomorrow. have to spoil it. You can well, talk generically. Yeah. Okay. That's right. So there's a you know a female character gets some bad medical news and uh, and basically 
the doctor refuses to break that medical news to her until she calls her husband and brings her husband into the office. And even then, like, he explains everything to the husband and talks about her like she's not in the room, even though she's sitting literally, like, a foot away and staring at her own Mm x-rays. So, and, like, that, and Jamie was, like, pulling her hair out of her head. Like, what the fuck? Why are they treating her like she's a child? Like, she's incapable. Because it's October 1970. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like... You know, you you have to be able to sort of put yourself in that place, and it's like, okay, yeah, it's a modern show and it's modern storytelling, but it's an it's a period piece, so you mm-hmm. have to, yeah, that's yes, they thought she was a child, they thought she had a child mind because mm-hmm. it was the seventies, and that's how that went, you yeah. know. So, can I tell an embarrassing Citizen Kane? Story? Oh, or not please. embarrassing, but it's uh, yeah. My second experience with Citizen Kane yeah. was a freshman in high school. Please tell me there's a girl involved. No, that's why it's embarrassing. <laughs> so. I wish there was a girl involved. No. We had a really cool theater at my school, and it was like, I went to a state college, which didn't have, I mean, it was a good school, but it was not known for its cultural institutions. Yeah, sure, okay, got it. But it had a cool old theater with a balcony and everything, Mm -hmm. and they would play movies there. And so, this was during the Winter Olympics, um, and it was the opening ceremony of the Winter Olympics, so everyone in the dorm had gathered to watch the Winter Olympics. But what did I want to do on that night? (laughs) I wanted to go to the theater and watch a double header of Citizen Kane and Breathless. I would have been right there with you. All right. Absolutely. I I am not an Olympics fan. Yeah. So I convinced my my future roommate, who I would live with for the next couple years after we moved out of the dorms, to go with me. And he was, you know, just sort of like, yeah, sure, that's fine. So we went and saw Citizen Kane at at the big movie theater. And and then Breathless starts to play, and he's like, I can't do this. <laughs> we have to leave. I'm like, no, come on, it's classic, it's French, they're smoking, you know, it's great. There's, there's lots of jump cuts, I mean, come on. Like, no, let's let's leave. I'm like, oh, all right, and then we went back and, and watched the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, but I always remember those two things are, are linked. Absolutely. And, but to see Citizen Kane on a big screen is an experience, and I'm kind of sad I missed it at the Brattle this last week. Yeah, if I... It is really, it's so beautiful to see on a big screen. I know, I would, if I had been in town, I literally flew out of town that afternoon, if I had, if I had been in town, I would have absolutely gone, because I've never seen it in a in a proper theater, and no. man, I would love to. That right after the newsreel, and it's that beautiful. It's very smoky and yeah, shadowy. Yeah, yeah. It, that looks so good on a movie screen. Oh, totally. It's, it's well, so okay. So great. let's let's get into the content a little bit here. Um, so uh, yeah, so we, okay, we were talking about earlier. We you know you mentioned oh yeah, well, he didn't just do movies. He did all this other stuff. He didn't mm-hmm. you know obviously epically known for doing radio work, the mm-hmm. movie theater. Um, that was the thing that struck me the most uh, upon this viewing uh, is that that prologue, which mm. feel I mean it's you know it's news of the world or whatever. Yeah. Like it's very, it feels very radio. It feels like very much someone who has their roots in radio, where it's uh, you know it's it's show it's literally it's tell don't show because you literally can't show them. Uh, so it's we're going to explain the whole story to you. We're going to give you like the overture, basically, and it's mm-hmm. we're going to tell the whole story before you've seen the story, which is like very peculiar when you think about it, because you know nowadays you tend to see more of the like uh, oh the movie starts in the end and then like you yeah. see the last scene the guy like you know bleeding out in the stairway or whatever and then the movie shows you how they got there. This was literally, it's like, here's his youth, and here's his doing the newspapers, and here he is with the thing, and... 
But what's so great about that is, and, and first of all, I, I, I see what you mean by it being kind of radio-y, but yeah. it's also like very much in the style of new, newsreels. Like if you watch oh. newsreels oh, no, no, times, he has authentic. the style down pat, yeah. down to the sort of stock footage that they use in between certain things. To the point that I, I, like, I, I can't help but think that anyone who saw that movie, you know, for the first thought time, like thought, they were, yeah, thought yeah. they were watching a newsreel yeah. about some... Some famous guy mm-hmm. they never heard of, especially if you're watching that movie like not in New York. Like mm-hmm. you're watching that movie in like fucking Wichita, Kansas, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. some guy who owns newspapers died. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and like that cut from the end of the newsreel to all the guys and everyone, like, okay, okay, that's good. Let's watch it again. Like yeah. that had to be like crazy. That that was supposed to be like a mind blowing thing, you know. It, if not for the fact that it opens though with him, with the, you know, say Rosebud, Rosebud and dropping. Yeah, yeah. And dropping the snow globe, which I love that so much when he drops the snow globe, because not only do we get that great shot refracting through the snow globe, yep. but then it's like very arty and weird because there's just like snow in the room, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, totally. And there's no reason for that. It's not, you know, it's it's not there for any naturalistic reason, but it's there in this sort of kind of lyrical style that later will echo the shot in Colorado. Absolutely, you know? yeah. But what I was going to say about the, the newsreel that's great is that one of the reasons this movie feels modern, I think, is that it's told out of order. Yeah. It's told from multiple perspectives. It's kind of a proto-Rashomon in a way. Sure. So what the newsreel does is orient you. Yeah. So we get his whole story chronologically. We get the major events, the major characters, and we know that going in so that now we can go to these different characters yeah, you can bounce and around. hear their perspectives and bounce around in time. And not only that, but I think one of the really interesting things about it is that, so you're right, Like not only do we get, like, you're seeing it through all these different, uh, all these different perspectives, but you literally, you get the story from almost, from everybody's perspectives, except for Kane's. Yeah, I know. Like, and it's Great. like, that's a... Cr- like that's, I mean, it's it's fucking awesome. But like, it's at the time that again, that has to feel like kind mm-hmm. of nuts, you know, mm-hmm. that it is the title of the movie and you know the central character, but you own you never see his version of the truth essentially. Mm-hmm. Which isn't to say that they're unre- unreliable narrators. No, they're not. Um, it's just that you you know you have to interpret everything you know, through the lens of other people. Well, I saw mm-hmm. him do this, you yeah. know, and I'll, well, this was my experience with him, mm-hmm. you know. I was with him for this part of his life. Right, you know? exactly. So, um, And, like, that's, that's so, it's so interesting because it's like, you know, it immediately distances him mm-hmm. from the audience to a certain degree. But doesn't that make him more interesting? Like, because you're constantly trying to plumb the depths. Like, yeah. what is going on behind this facade that are, we're presented with? In a way, I think it actually makes him more sympathetic. You know, uh-huh. because everybody is telling the story from their own perspective, so everybody has their own agenda. Yes, you know, so you always sort of feel like, well, there must be more to it than that, you mm-hmm. know, um, or there's there's some other side of this. You know, we, we don't know why he's doing what he's doing. We just see that he does a thing, and you have to kind of interpret it or read between the lines to a certain mm-hmm. degree. So, like, you know, the stuff at the beginning uh, with the banker uh, who mm-hmm. who raised him. And it's like, oh well, if I, you know, lose a million dollars a year, I'll have to shut it down in sixty years. You know, yeah. like he, like he's being very brash. Whatever. That's, by the way, that's the nineteen forty one way of saying fuck you. Yeah, exactly, right. Uh, but yeah, he's he's being very brash, but at the same time, it feels like no, he's being he's being kind of revolutionary. Like mm-hmm. he's 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 trying to do something new and different and exciting, and, and you know, which sort of gets backed up with the Declaration of Principles later. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, no, he like. He's not just being this petulant kid. Like he, he wants to do a thing, and that's that's kind of awesome. Did you ever watch the documentary? That's a part of this, the battle for Citizen Kane. I don't know if I have. If it's, I did, I watched it originally. It's really good because it really draws all these parallels between 
uh, Kane, uh, who is based on William Randolph Hearst, right. you know, the newspaper baron. Oh, yeah, I've and, driven past the Hearst Castle. I've never been in, but I've oh, driven yeah. past it. It's insane. Yeah. Um, and then and um, Orson Welles. Like, yeah. they're like three peas in a pod, really. Absolutely. Like, and so it's really, it's the documentary is really interesting about those parallels. And so, anyway. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the moment that really, like, crystallizes for me is that sense of, like, making him a little more sympathetic or making you kind of want to reach out to him a little bit is, uh, you know, that, that scene where, uh, where he's being blackmailed in, mm. in her apartment, in the singer's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's really amazing about that, that moment is he has, you know, he's presented with this choice basically, mm-hmm. which is, you know, essentially live to fight, you know, live to fight another day, take the politician's way out, which mm-hmm. is, Make an excuse, drop out of the race, run again in mm-hmm. five, in four years, or whatever, um, or be a, you know, be a stubborn bastard and just say I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight it out and assume that the people love me and that you know, and that they'll, they'll just sort of go with me and, mm-hmm. and you know, they won't care, um, and you know, he, he's, he's such a like a prideful kind of dude that you feel kind of sorry for him in a, in a, to a certain degree because he, he you know he, you it's like the the right choice is obvious but he can't see it you mm-hmm. know um and if it was his story i think it would be you know oh well he is just this dude and he was you know two-timing his wife and now he's just belligerent and he doesn't he doesn't give a fuck or whatever like i, I don't know if it would be as sympathetic if he was the main character because you'd be watching him the whole time being like dude what are you doing why are like, you you're, you're going down the wrong path, you're throwing this all away, so instead to suddenly be like, no, this guy is coming in and he's fucking with your, your, your campaign on the eve of, like, victory, and, uh, and all you have to do is, like, the thing, and it becomes, like, a sad choice, as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, a, well, you dug your own grave, man, like, you should have seen this coming. Well, and it's interesting because he doesn't make the political choice. Right, and, uh, exactly. And he doesn't make the expedient choice, and because in so many other respects, and I guess... You know, every time I watch this movie, I feel like I get something new out of it. And this time, what was new and interesting was, um, I mean, in the filmmaking, gets focused on just rightfully so because it's amazing. But I think the script is really quite ahead of its time, yeah, and and especially in its conception of the media. And a couple of the quotes that I wrote down where he says, you know, the news goes on for twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, so that's so CNN is, right there. That's CNN right, right here. And then right after that, he says, "If the is headline- it <laughs> well, <laughs> well, okay, the execution of CNN, yeah, perhaps not so much. The, the ideology behind yeah. CNN." Um, but then, like literally, like right after that, very soon right after that, he says, "If the headline is big enough, it makes the, the news, news big, big enough." enough. Yeah, and totally. I'm just like, that is so Wag fucking prescient. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I mean, and if you think of like every fucking like, and I always think about uh, or joke about this, but uh, you know, in every city, it's like there's the legitimate newspaper, and then there's the other newspaper, mm-hmm. which... The New York Post. Yeah, yeah, the New York Post. Here it's the, it's the Boston Herald. Yeah. It's the, the, the newspaper in which every day has a front-page story with a, you know, 200-point he- font headline. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it doesn't matter what the fucking story is. It is always, like, a headline that is no more than three words and takes up half the fucking page. I, but, see, what's interesting, though, is, like, yeah, you're right. The, those tabloids still absolutely exist. But I think 24 Hours New Network have appropriated this idea... Oh, totally. ...of if the headline is big enough, proverbial if we, speaking... If we run this fucking plane crash like, story for 19 exactly. hours in a row, or, all of a sudden everybody gives a or, shit about this or Indonesian plane... 
yeah, yeah, like or you know whatever the story is, we will amplify it. So then it becomes. This is one of the great you know critiques of, of John Stewart and The Daily Show is that if you are in a sort of perpetual crisis machine, it's hard to distinguish then what is actually a crisis and deserves our attention and what Absolutely. is just bullshit. Yeah. So I love that in the script, like we see the seeds of that, you know, with with Kane and with the sort of yellow journalism and everything. So I think that's very impressive. Speaking speaking of the press, I really love. Uh, the reporter Thompson, the guy who's actually going around and interviewing oh, yeah. all these the people. Face, the poor faceless bastard. The poor faceless man. You never see his face. Well, uh, you kind of do. And I, I wonder if the DVD has ruined this a little bit because I wonder if you're seeing when, more it, than you were if supposed to. If you're seeing to. more than you were supposed to, because I feel like there are moments when we actually do see his face. It's yeah. shrouded. It's in shadow. Yeah, but we do but you see could probably it. pick up more detail. So I wonder if, like in film, you actually don't see it quite as much. Yeah, no. Non-high definition. You're probably right. In fact, I was just listening to uh, the Canon podcast uh, earlier today, and they were talking about uh, Evil Dead 2, Mm. and I guess they recently in L.A., they had uh, a screening of uh, the first Evil Dead, and it was like a 4K, like, restoration Mm. of the original Evil Dead. Well, yeah, because the original should not be seen in 4K. No, exactly. It was shot on, like, 16 millimeters. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and they were saying, like, it, it actually, it didn't go over very well. Like, oh, half, well, half the audience had never seen the movie before. Uh-huh. So to them, it was like, you could see, like, shitty effects and, like, the weird. Point. <laughs> no, I know, but, like, to them, like, it was almost like, it's like the, the, the presentation was too good. It's like you could see the strings yeah. kind of thing. So uh-huh. there was, like, it, it just seemed shitty to them. It just seemed like a shitty fucking movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, you, I think, yeah, there's probably an element of that. What was interesting, though, and I think with the black and white that works well, is is the makeup. And I think yeah. the makeup is generally pretty good, but I feel like the black and white hides what would, in color, look very obviously prosthetic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Know? And, in fact, that's one of the things that has always struck me about this movie is that, yeah, like I said, you know, Orson Welles is 25 when they make this movie, he spends very little of the movie even looking remotely looking tw- like within his age, his actual age. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about it, you think about him in the older age makeup. Not mm-hmm. even necessarily like the old, old man makeup. With but the mustache. Yeah, the mustache. The, you know, the rally speech. When he's rally giving speech. the rally, he's got that giant poster behind him. And he's, you know, he's probably supposed to be like, you know, in his 40s at that mm-hmm. point. So yeah, like the iconic image of him in this movie is in old age makeup, basically. Mm-hmm. But everybody does. I mean, uh, uh, Bernstein's in old age makeup, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Leland is in old age makeup. Like yep. everybody, except for the I think his his wife, Susan Alexander. Like they make her up older, but it doesn't really translate as much because she's yeah. already younger than everybody. So, she looks pretty old in those scenes where she's at where the, she's the drinking. nightclub. Yeah, she looks pretty rough. Yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, she looks emotionally rough, but yeah. she like. You know, she's not, like, wheelchair-bound and... No. Like, she she still looks like she's kind of pulling it off a little, to a certain <laughs> degree, or she's trying to pull it off. Okay. But, like, I mean, Ber- Bernstein and Leland are, like, you know, he, Leland's, like, in a fucking wheelchair. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he can barely stand up, so... Uh, but yeah, like I think all. Yeah, of but that he he walks a little too easily. He is escorted away by the nurses. Yeah. He, he's like, yeah, he's walking just fine. Dude, he's got like a robe, and it's like tied with a rope. But he's sitting in the chair for like the whole scene. So for the longest time, I thought he was tied to the chair to keep him from falling <laughs> out of the chair. Oh, I thought you were gonna say that he's he not was... Jerry Gergich. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say that for the longest time he was he was flashing Thompson <laughs> <laughs> telling the story. He's like, I'd look at my too. balls, look at my old yeah. man balls. Give me a cigar. I got a cigar. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, totally. No, but I, I agree. I've always thought the old, ma- the old age makeup totally works. Yeah, um, to to a remarkable degree. But yeah, I also had the same thought that 
it, the black and white helps you a lot. Yeah. And black Bart and white helps so much yeah, with that. Yeah, no, and we, Bart and I, you know, we've shot movies before, uh, and, you know, putting stuff in black and white can, it can be your biggest saving grace, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, hey, you know what, we don't have, uh, you know, we're lighting this with a fucking desk lamp, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, put it in black and white, and it's fine, it you know, and it looks, white. and it looks fucking great, you know? Yeah. Black and white is the great forgiver of all cinematic sins, mm-hmm. you know? Well, Photo, and, too. And yeah, and Toland, the cinematographer, knows so how to use black and white. Like he reminds me of like Gordon Willis. You know, oh guy yeah, like Godfather and Man of Darkness. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, it's, again, especially that scene right after the newsreel plays, and we're in that smoky yep. room. I just love that so much. There's also the the scene uh, when I'm actually watching it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have it in the other window, That's and I advantage. just got to that scene right That's now. Good, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it is beautiful. Uh, I also really like this the scene when he goes to the when Thompson goes to the Thatcher Library to read yeah. the manuscript the the Halos of Light yeah he, it's that big long table yes. in a dark room and mm-hmm. there's like a skylight like casting all the light right. down and there's mm-hmm. dust in the in the light so it's like beams of light mm-hmm. and then and then the fucking like big heavy vault door like closes yeah. right swings closed right in mm-hmm. front of the camera oh oh my god I mean yeah. it's just I could just watch that on the loop hour it's no. fantastic it's it's a cinematographer's wet dream it really is like and like the i love it reminded me in a weird way of some of the camera moves in um in panic room you remember okay. like how it's like going through the apartment and it's going through solids and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. like so there's the birdman does a lot of that and birdman, too. yeah, yeah, yeah right. like they fly in through more, a window or in, something yeah, like that yeah right a more modern um yeah. example of that but like when the camera goes through the sign of the nightclub where Susan is now working, mm-hmm. and then we go through the skylight, and obviously we see where the cuts are. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Not like yeah. the illusion is it's not seamless. It's yeah. not seamless by today's standards. But even but though, but that concept, even think, yeah, well, let's go through the sign, through this gap, through there, through uh-huh. the skylight, down. Like, I mean, yeah, who's doing that in 1940? Exactly, and you know, even if you like, you know, you know extrapolate it all the way out to Birdman, where they do mm-hmm. that through the, it's like, oh, we're gonna, the camera's gonna come up off the sidewalk and up the side of the building, and then mm-hmm. it's gonna fly through a one-inch hole in the sewer grate and into the rehearsal room mm-hmm. where they're burning lines. It's like. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah, you don't see the seams there, but you know there's a seam there. Like, you know that's an impossible mm-hmm. camera move. Right. So, like, it, it doesn't matter whether you can see the seams You're or not, right, because, no. like, by n- realizing that it's an impossible thing, like, you instantly are taken out and going, oh, that's a... That's, mm-hmm. I didn't see it, but that was a cool thing, because I mm-hmm. didn't see it, you know? Yeah. Um, the one that always blows my mind when we talk about, like, impossible camera moves like that, um, that I've never been able to shake is uh, the shot in Contact. Um, oh, the pan out of the earth, right? No, 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 no. No, no okay. the medicine cabinet. The medicine cabinet. Oh, the medicine cabinet. Uh, okay. Where, uh, I just watched Contact, by the way. Oh, really? So it's I, just fresh. I've never seen it, but you tell this story all the time. I love this, because I, I love this shot. It just blows my mind every fucking time. Uh, David Morse has a heart attack, yeah. uh-huh. and uh, what's her face, who plays young Jodie Foster? Uh, 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 yeah, I know who you're talking about. It's, um, yeah, uh, uh, not uh, fucking from Hunger the the girl I like from Hunger Games. Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone. Thank yes. you. Uh, I want to say Anna Paquin. I was excited. Oh, Anna you Paquin. do Jenna like Malone. Jenna Malone. I do like Jenna Malone. Jenna Malone's great. Yeah. No. There's a scene where David Morse has a heart attack and she has to run up and get his medicine. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it starts in like the kitchen of their house, and she like turns towards the camera, and then the ca- she runs basically up the stairs and down the hallway into the into the upstairs bathroom to get the pills, mm-hmm. and the camera is tracking along in front of her the whole time. So she's staring into the camera, mm-hmm. and and it's in like slow motion. And yeah. then when she gets into the bathroom, 
uh, suddenly, like, the whole, basically, reality shifts, because then all of a sudden, without any seam, you are seeing her in the bathroom, in the bathroom mirror. Yeah. And so the bathroom mirror opens, and you realize it's, it's as if you have been watching her in a mirror the whole time mm-hmm. that she suddenly opens, even though that's not physically possible. And it's such a great thing because it, as opposed to the Birdman shot, where, like, where it's like, oh, you can see it moving up, and oh, we're mm-hmm. moving towards that window, and oh, here we go. It just, it's literally like the world tilts on a 90-degree angle all of a sudden. And it's really jarring because you almost don't understand what's happening at first, and then you do, and you're like, fuck, that's amazing. Well, and it doesn't necessarily call attention to it. No, it really, no. You have to literally figure, like, parse together, like, what it is that you just saw, Which, you know? you know, if there's a valid critique to be had of, of Birdman or Children of Men or Gravity, mm-hmm. all these movies that make use of these long wonders, yeah, yeah. it's that they call attention to themselves. Yeah, totally. you, and if you are in any way aware of cinematic language, you are aware of these shots. But yeah. but yeah, that's a great shot that doesn't call attention to itself. Another good one in Kane to bring it back, bring it to, back our, to the movie we're talking our about. Subject, yeah. And and even reminded me with Birdman is when Susan's on stage in the, <laughs> the theater that he's built, which the comedy Oh my god. The editing in this movie is like like a black comedy. Yeah. Because he's like, you know, someone reporter's asking him, he's like, if she doesn't get to sing at the Met, then I'll build her a theater, but I don't think that'll be necessary. Yeah. Headline, Kane builds a theater. <laughs> yeah, amazing. <laughs> so, but it's the shot where, like, she's getting ready to go on stage. Yeah, they're putting the makeup, they're putting, putting the, the hat on, on her and stuff. There's yeah, yeah. a million things going on, which I love. That, yeah. to me, feels like this is Kane, or this is, uh, this is well, sort of exercising his theater, like, Absolutely. You know, yeah, experience. Yeah, totally. And, you know, all the chaos of it, everyone's yep. running in every which direction. They clear out, she's on stage, spotlight. Yep, curtain and we, up. And then we pan up. up all up, the way up, up the ropes. Up, up, yeah, up, yeah. Up, 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 all the way to the two guys in the rafters, and one goes, you know, puts his yeah. fingers on his nose, it's like, ugh, this yeah. is terrible. Yep. But that's such a great, like, that's a great shot, because again, it doesn't call attention to itself. We just think we're watching her prepare, and then we pan up, but, yep. you know, when you actually think about the logistics tells of tells you everything that you it, needed to exactly. see from that scene. It, it conveys the whole, the whole yeah, moment without, without having to any show dialogue. you the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what's great is that, is then, like, a few minutes later, when they revisit that scene, it's from, from the reverse angle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's her, fucking her. awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's so good. And I love, like, if I were to get super at my own ass about it, like, I feel like that shot, or those two series of shots, are kind of like a microcosm for the movie, in a way, because the movie's all about, like, behind the scenes. What, yeah. What really what goes really on happened, yeah. before the curtain comes up. And I feel like that that is the movie right mm-hmm. there. I, and I also, I mean, that whole scene is great. I love the like, drunk Leland sitting in the audience tearing up his program, like, <laughs> yeah, shredding God. it up into a little, like, circular fan. Oh, my God, it is my favorite thing. Uh, I also really like uh, that, you know, when it cuts to uh, the end, um, uh, when, when he's writing the review. Oh, no, no, when it cuts to when he's they're in the newspaper office, he's writing the review, yes. and there's that shot where, you know, after Leland wakes up, uh, from the typewriter, mm-hmm. and he goes out to see him. There's that one, just again, just one of those fucking gorgeous shots where uh, Wells is in the foreground on yeah, the left side, left. just yes, typing I know away. Exactly what yeah, talking Leland about. is all the way on the right, like in the, in the mid ground. Yeah, yeah, and then all the way behind him it's in the Bernstein, Bernstein in just in silhouette in the background, yeah. and it is and it is just marvelous. Yeah, it, you, I just want to just stare at that sh- like a still frame of that shot forever. Yeah, no, it's so great. The deep focus in this movie, which is the big if you, if you want to get historical about right. it, the big sort of 
revolutionary thing is the deep focus. And so uh, the way that it's used in shots like that is, it, it, again, and it still holds up. That's the remarkable thing about oh, it. Oh, totally. Um, this movie actually has a bunch of, like, really fun little, just, you know, telling it all with a single image. I mean, like I said mm -hmm. at the beginning, you, you come from the radio background of Tell, Don't Show, but there is a lot of just you know, very simple, like... The, one of the ones that I really love is when she basically tries to OD on the medicine, mm -hmm. and there's no explanation at first. All you, the only explanation you need is the medicine glass, yep. and the, the the empty yeah. glass with the medicine spoon and the and, and the her bottle sprawled on the bed. Yeah, her sprawled on the bed, and then that medicine cup like right in the foreground. Mm -hmm. uh, Bart, as you you may recall, not this is not an homage because I hadn't seen it at the time, but our senior project had like basically that same shot with the medicine, the pill bottle right in the foreground. Uh, right in focus and everything else out of focus behind it. I didn't even yep. know I was doing a Citizen Kane homage, and apparently I was. Well, hey, I'll raise my glass of this. Here we go. To you. To, to fucking inadvertent homages. Um, there's also... Uh, Love that word. <laughs> what? Inadvertent homage. <laughs> Well, no, I mean... Also, actually, speaking of such things... I, lo I, love how ab I love how abused that word is, because in so many, like, arenas of life, it's just a nice way of saying rip-off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speak speaking of inadvertent homages in our high school senior project, there's also the scene late in the movie where uh, Susan Alexander, when she, when she leaves him, when she walks out, um, yeah. which is, again, like another one of those great like dual perspectives things because mm -hmm. there's her version of the story which is like oh and the thing and then I walked out mm -hmm. and then there's the butler's version which is what happens mm -hmm. after she walks out and it's him running around and tearing apart the bedroom mm -hmm. and knocking over furniture and ripping stuff down off the walls mm -hmm. and I literally in my notes I wrote tear apart the room parentheses asylum <laughs> 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 apparently our high school senior project was full of accidental homages to Citizen Kane and we didn't realize it we did shoot in the mirror several times. We did shoot. We did shoot in the mirror several times, which is another thing this movie is chock full of mirrors. Yeah, like things that happen in reflections of other yeah. things. Sometimes mirrors, sometimes just windows. Yeah, I was going to say yep. there's two yep. great examples that I think of that. One is the the scene you're talking about, the Wolf of Wall Street. The Wolf scene, of Wall Street scene. Yeah. Where oh yeah. See him in the window dancing. dancing yeah, and Bernstein so and and Leland are having talking. a conversation, like the in, actual in serious the conversation yeah. in the foreground. Yeah. And Around then, him. Yeah. yeah. And then the other great one is toward the very beginning when the guy comes to Colorado to pick him up. Mm -hmm. It's another one of those shots where the deep focus is great, and we have like three different things going on. We've got. Um, his mom and the guy talking and then the dad is sort of in the middle ground and then way in the back in a window yeah. you can see him playing with his sled absolutely and, and you hear him very clearly him. Yeah, yeah the audio uh -huh. is very clear the whole time he's going the union forever yeah yeah, yeah. but those, um, those shots are great the other one that really struck me is um, again near the end uh, there, when it's like all those couple of scenes with just him and the second wife mm -hmm. um like in the big empty Xanadu house, mm. um, where you know every time they speak, it it's echoes. echoes. Yeah, oh, it echoes the sound effects. Oh, it's so incredible! Great. But there's uh, the shot, and I think it's, I think it's like right after she leaves him or whatever. Yeah, when he when he leaves, he he tears apart the room, and then he walks out of the room, and then he walks across like the the, the hallway, the foyer, or whatever, and all the servants are watching him. Mm. But the camera is angled to such to in such a way that he literally walks across the room, and then he walks out of frame, 
but then he gets picked up again in the mirrors hanging yeah, on the wall. The mirrors. So literally, he leaves the frame, but then you continue to see him in like mirrors, and he leaves again, and he shows up in the next mirror. Mm-hmm. It's just fantastic like, yeah. staging. It's incredible. Which is the, I think the cool thing about Wells again. You know, he's fucking just a genius. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's no way around yeah, it. Really, yeah, there's no two I, ways about it. What's, you know, hilarious and sad about what happens to him later in his I life. Know. But I mean. The fact that he does come from theater, and yet this movie doesn't feel stagey at all. No. He knows how to move the camera. He knows yeah. where to put the camera. And, I mean, maybe that's Toland. Maybe that, you know, maybe we're giving him a little more credit than he deserves. <laughs> maybe it's his cinematographer, too. Yeah. But still, this movie, like, it has action, and it's dynamic, you know? Like, it's two hours long, but it flies. It really does. It's, again, it's like two hours exactly, but it does not feel long. No. And I, for some reason in my head, I was like, I feel like this movie is like three hours. And I was like, no. No, it's not at all. And man, is it, and it, it fucking moves, too. Yeah. That's how long it's been since I watched it. So almost about ten years, in fact. I think the transitions are really great, and that's maybe what helps make it feel very yeah. um, fleet on, mm-hmm. its, on its feet. Because, like, you know, there's the... Um, when they're looking... There's the shot of the... Um, the three of them, uh, Wells and then Leland and Bernstein, yeah. and they're looking out the window right after they've bought the newspaper and mm-hmm. the circulation 26,000. Yeah, 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 and then it comes to the Chronicle office. And then it comes yeah. the Chronicle office, half a million. Yep. By the, by the, you know, the newspaper writers who work at the Chronicle, and then they're back at the, at yeah, the Empire. Yeah, like 700,000. That happens like in that. like yeah. a minute and a half. Yeah. And they manage to cover what is probably months or years worth of time. Oh, absolutely, But it yeah. happens so quick that it doesn't drag ever. Um, let's, let's talk about the fucking second wife for a minute, because you're right, I think she really is, like, the weakest link in this whole movie, um, and I don't, do you think, oh, go ahead, Bart. No, I just said goodbye, because you said she's the weakest link, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for, uh, digging out that reference. I told you, I'm just here to make fun of things. Thank you, I appreciate that. Mostly you. Uh, yeah, no, like, I mean, I... I don't know if it's necessarily the character on the page I was or the say, actress. Is it the character? Is it the performance? I mean, like, her voice well, see, that's... is just so awful. So here's the thing. Here's the question that I had the whole time. Is So I am not much of a theater person. Um, I'm not an actor, unlike you, sir. But I know how... I do sing, and I know how difficult it is to sing really badly. Mm-hmm. Like, like to hold a dissonance is really hard. Oh, yeah. And so uh, what I want to know is... And we always say, as a, like in the theater, you always say the hardest thing... The two hardest things to, like, portray on stage are, A, being drunk. Like, to accurately portray being drunk without just being, like, a cartoon drunk? character who just, like, slurs yeah. and falls over and stuff. But to, like... Act, to portray someone, you go, like, no, no, that's actually... Like, I know that guy. I know a friend who's exactly like that when they're drunk. Like realistic drunk uh, and also to be a bad actor on stage is incredibly hard like I've done shows where I'm supposed to be like an actor in a show within the show who's a bad actor in the show and like it is really fucking hard to play a bad actor and so that's the thing is I don't I don't know the name of this actress off the top of my head yeah, I don't but remember her name is she a good actress acting really well as a terrible actress yeah or is or did they cast a lousy actress to begin with that's a really good question yeah <laughs> uh, and I yeah, I honestly you know, know the one moment that she has that works. Yeah, and I and this is maybe the script as much as it is her, but yeah. it's the one moment where she's not screeching like a fucking banshee. Yeah, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, it's their it's their breakup scene, and he says, "You can't do this to me," and she says, yeah. "Oh, 
it's you this is being done, done to. to. Yeah, that, yeah. And not only is that a killer line, yeah. but she really underplays it mm-hmm. and says it in sort of a more normal voice. Yeah, as opposed to being like suddenly going to outrage. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. It's very down low, yeah. So, and I think she's pretty good as the drunk, you know, yeah. in, in those scenes. Yeah, yeah, in the older scenes, so, yeah. I don't know. So it's really, it's interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that uh, her voice in general is rough. I mean, and granted, I'm saying this, you know, a, a week after everything, after making the argument that, well, Scarlett Johansson's voice is just his voice. Like, hey, big guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, so, <laughs> uh, so, no, I mean, I think, you know, I, to a certain degree, that might just sort of be her voice to mm-hmm. a certain, to, you know, to, to an extent. You know what, too? It's interesting. She, I mean, we're, we're very much, I think, on Kane's side, and maybe yeah. people would make the argument that, no, he's a Prick and we sh- we're not on his side. He's, sure. he's an antihero, whatever. I'm on his side for this movie. Yeah. Like I, oh, I empathize, totally. yeah. empathize if not outright sympathize with him. See, and I, I don't know. You don't I know. I can't figure out. I can't figure out whether he's incredibly selfish, or, or, you know, sort of a weird Robin Hood character. I, I don't. I, I, I honestly don't know. And I think that might be the strength of it is that it's there's no he's human. Yeah, I mean it's it's human in that way. Yeah. I guess. Yes. Well, and it's also I think it, you know I, here's I guess, so here's a question you know pertaining to to Susan Alexander is is he fucking her before they get like before he gets blackmailed? Yeah. I mean, is is he? Fucking oh, her, are you or kidding? Is he just there? Yeah, I know. I think he's fucking. No, her. he's I mean, I totally. He is, no, I think he, I think he is too. Um, but you know, it's 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 interesting because she claims that he isn't. She claims that it's like, no, he was just there. He wanted me to be a singer. He was just there because he liked me to be a singer. The first time. Yeah. But how much time has passed between when he sees her. This is another one of those great, like, really quick successions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she's playing in the parlor, the piano and singing. Then we go to the rally. Yeah. Then we cut to the wife. And then that's the whole scene where Boss Geddes tries to blackmail her. Exactly. I feel like some time has passed. Oh, definitely some time has passed. I mean, the has gone on in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think think that's fair. But my point in bringing up that we're on his side, or we at least are, we're at least interested in him. Yeah. You know, where he's an interesting character. We tend then to, like, see anyone who is in our protagonist's way as being sort of worse than they are. And that mm-hmm. was, that's when you finally get to watch Breaking Bad. One of the great, like, controversies that came up with that is that people would shit on um, Anna Gunn, who played his wife, yeah. been Brian Cronison's wife, and it was very much that, because, like, in any reasonable world, she's doing all the right things, and she is, like, she yeah. has the better moral argument, and yet we're with Brian Cranston, we're with Walter White, because he's our protagonist. He's our, he's our guy, Anything yeah. that gets in between us and our protagonist is automatically yeah. dismissed and hated. So I wonder if... I was reaction... with Pinkman, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Fair, fair point Bitch. there. I don't Bitch. know what you're talking about. But I wonder if Susan Alexander, because at a certain point she just becomes this antagonist yeah. to him, if we then sort of are rougher on her than we might be if, if again, she wasn't antagonizing our ostensible protagonist, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I was totally with her. I think, I, I, think, I mean... Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I was just, again, in, in watching it this time, and I don't know if it's because I've been spending so much time with Jamie and Jenna, <laughs> but... <laughs> But I am, I was totally with her the whole time because I mean he's an egomaniac. He mm-hmm. the way I mean the way he talks down. He's like, this is our home now or whatever he said yeah. when he was Xanadu and it's just and just at that point he had 
gone, he had fallen so far from his statement, you know, his declaration of principles. Oh, sure. To just pure egomania. Yeah. That, and I mean, look, we could talk about, you know, the subtle. I mean, yes, it's 1941. But, yeah. But, you know, but, you know, at the end, of, you also have to kind of appreciate a movie where a character at the beginning of the movie literally writes out a declaration <laughs> of personal principles and then has another character go, I'm going to hold on to that simply so that it can show up later and have that main character tear up his own principles, mm-hmm. literally destroy his own principles. But does he believe those principles? I always read that scene as ironic. The, the writing of the principles? The writing of the... Because the principles are cheesy, you yeah, know? sure. No, and, and I don't think he believes them for a second. Yeah, he yeah, believes them about as much as he believes in the Spanish-American War. Right, he's an yeah. opportunist. Well, I don't know. I think he believed them at the time. I think he was more... I, I think, think it's... I think he likes it's, the idea you know, it's of a them. Descent. He likes the idea of them. I don't yeah. know if he actually would ever. He wants to have that, that persona. He yes. wants people to think of him that the way. Persona, but it's the... not like the act when a push comes to shove. That's you know yeah. he's going to do what he's going to do. Right. Um, well, I mean, one thing that I that I didn't remember about it from the last time I saw it which was Lord only knows how many years ago. But I I don't or I didn't remember how on the nose they were. He just wants love. He oh. wants to be loved. Dude, and I feel like maybe. By the end, he sort of doesn't give a shit anymore. Um, well, I mean, though, but, but but then on the other hand, he totally still does because he's building Xanadu and getting all these things. He wants everyone to love him. But so that's why I can't figure out whether he's extremely selfish or really self-loathing. I guess it's both. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Uh, there's there's a. I mean, and when you think about okay, so you know the thing that everybody walks away from this movie is oh, it was the sled. You know, Rosebud. Ro- what was Rosebud? Rosebud was the sled. Like. I, I think, like I said, I think this is the first time I've watched it since the first time I've watched it, um, or at least all the way through. Um, and, you know, with the knowledge, you know, that second time viewing, like, with the knowledge of, oh, it's all of a sled, like, now it's impossible to watch that movie without picking up every sled reference in the movie. At which mm. point, like, especially in, like, the first, like, 20 minutes, you're like, Jesus, of course it was the fucking sled. They're just, they can't stop talking about this fucking sled at the beginning of the movie. Like, Thatcher talks about how he got hit in the stomach with the sled, uh, I mean, obviously, there's the scene where you actually see all that happen. He gets the new sled once he moves in. He gets a new sled when he moves in the thing. And not only that, but the scene where he meets Susan Alexander, when he's standing on the street corner, and he gets doused in mud, and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, you can come into my place, and I'll get you some hot water or whatever. He says to her, I had all my, all my mother's things. My mother died a few years ago, and I had all of her things packed up and shipped to me, and I was on my way to go see them yeah. when this just happened. But yeah, sure, I'll come into your place. So he is literally on his way to go see the sled mm-hmm. when Susan Alexander shows up and essentially derails his entire life, mm-hmm. which is bananas. Or he derails her well, life. Well, no, no. I mean, <laughs> in, 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 obviously, they basically derail each other's lives. I mean, yeah. they base, you know, they they both sort of fuck it up for each other, but... I mean, yeah, but she crazy. never bullies him. I mean, well, he bullies no. the hell out of no, her. No, no, he totally does. But I mean, you know, he he makes the wrong decision, and uh, and uh, you know, as a consequence, like not only does he fuck up his own political aspirations, but he also sends her, you know, on this singing career that is doomed from the start. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, they, you know, it's all it's all fucked because he never because he never gets to go see the goddamn sled. That's yeah. what it all comes down to. You, you think it would change? If he found the sled to begin with? If he went to the warehouse and he saw the sled, you, you think things change? You know? uh, I don't know. Maybe. Because that's the other interesting thing to talk about with this movie. Is does the sp- well, he does wouldn't have married her. Well, no, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, so it's automatically different that way. Yeah. But 
does the sled explain anything? Which is what the reporters are debating at the end. Does right. the sled... I mean, and they don't know it's the sled, but they're they're debating, does Rosebud but, explain yeah, anything? Yeah, even if you found out what it was, would that really have explained it? Because like, oh, I bet, it, bet Rosebud would have explained it all. And he uh-huh. goes, I don't know if it really would have. Yeah. And I'm kind of with Thompson on that one, where it's like, no, it's just... It's a sled, and okay, so he liked being a kid, but like that still doesn't excuse or explain all of his behavior as a as an adult. You know, I think the best interpretation I've read is is actually Ebert's, where he says that the uh, the sled in itself doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's a great symbol for the idea that one thing can't explain someone's life. Oh, totally. So it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like it's not one thing or the the other really, but I, you know, I think that's so I don't know if he went to the warehouse, I don't know if much changes. I think he still runs for office. Oh, I sure. think he still finds a way to shoot himself in the foot with it even yeah. if he's not caught with his pants down. Yeah. You know, and then he built Xanadu as a result, you yeah. know. And so I think it's I still think it pretty much ends in the same place even if Susan's not a part of the story. Xanadu is also there's another sort of great sort of foreshadowing type moment or uh, foreshadowing is not the right word I guess mm-hmm. it's sort of retrospective shadowing or something uh, where you know the, so that the opening shot the opening the opening series mm-hmm. of shots there uh, before you get to him in the uh, in the bed mm-hmm. is you know the no it's trespassing Rocky Horror sign. yeah it is it's the no trespassing sign that's exactly <laughs> what I think of when I see that no trespassing sign how long does it Over take at, to at the Epcot Center like... yeah so <laughs> like there's, but then, it, but it like pans over all the different parts of Xanadu yeah. and all the different mm-hmm. animals and shit. Yeah. And at one point, and it literally like it shows like, a, and I wrote, I wrote, uh, decayed opulence. You know, oh, like yeah. that's where that's where he's at now. No, this um, is Gloria Swanson should be living in this mansion. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but there's like this shot of all the different animals that are living in the sort of mm-hmm. on-premises zoo, and there's a shot of like a cage full of monkeys. Mm-hmm. And Leland has a line uh, early on that's like, oh, what do you think will happen to him? I don't know. You know, one day he'll have to lord it over the monkeys or something like that. Oh, which is funny. literally what happens. He is yeah. literally lording it over the monkeys at the end. He's living alone in this giant mansion with nobody but the monkeys. Yeah. Um, I remember having my mind blown when I was in my high school film class because we dissected that opening. Yeah. Sort of a shot at a time. And it was like, I mean, when you think about it, it really is very on the nose because we open on a gate. Yeah. And it says no trespassing. Exactly. And it's like, oh, he's cut off, you know, we're, he's cut off from the world and we're not supposed to know, like, the, the real story, what's really going on there. Um, but it was like, oh, it's symbolism. Like, high school Jeff was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Rosebud like, is all just about potential and choice. And will you be a beautiful bloom or a thorny asshole? Like, the fence is like a metaphorical fence, man. It's, it's, like, like, it's like a fence around his heart, man. Man, like, oh. <laughs> anyway. Um, Were you guys hippies in high school? Like, <laughs> I, well, talk, I know you weren't. <laughs> I talked like one. Yeah. I listened to all the hippie music. <laughs> it's good. Um, let me see. There's, uh, uh, yeah, after, so after the election, lost lord over the monkeys. That's right. Um, also, when it comes to uh, his, like, meeting Susan Alexander, I wrote, uh, he cures a toothache with the power of shadow puppets. Mm. Uh, let's not mm-hmm. let's not overshadow that. It literally, <laughs> yeah. Oh my, my God. <laughs> He literally, like, she has a toothache. He's like, I'll just make you laugh. And he mm-hmm. gives, like, some shitty shadow puppets. And he's like, oh, is it your toothache? Yes, like, his no, shadow that, cock is that's silly. That's fine, long time ago. I, I, that stopped hurting ages ago. Okay, he cured a toothache with his fucking shadow rooster. Literally, it's a shadow cock. He does a rooster on the wall. It is literally a shadow cock. Yeah, that's a little silly. Um, also, the butler. What, so, you get the, the asshole butler at mm-hmm. the end. 
uh, who, you know, you kind of get everything you need to know about him. And even before he tells the story, like, he's talking to Thompson, and he smokes a cigarette, and he flicks it. Well, he, he literally, he, like, puts it out on the mantelpiece, and yeah. just, like, throws it on the yeah. floor. And then, of course, later, he is the one who is directing the burning of all of, all yeah. of Kane's stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Um, that's yeah, a, he that's could a, give a shit. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a great reversal, and you but you've met so many characters like that at that point where he's like, oh, what do you know about Xander? He's like, oh, well, one time I heard a thing and blah blah, blah but I don't really know. But like, here, give me a hundred bucks and I'll tell you what I know about Rosewood, uh, Rosebud, and Rosewood, <laughs> Rosewater, fucking Beverly Hills Cop in my head. Um, the other thing I have written down here is, I, I guess, kind of going back to that idea of. Um, yeah, I mean, the, so the, all the way back to Rosebud, I guess, but the hand-in-hand hand with that idea of the different perspectives, which is that, you know, because we never see, we don't have a definitive narrator, we've got all these mm-hmm. different retellings of sort of the different events, mm-hmm. that, you know, the movie, when you think about it, it's not really about what happens in this guy's life. Um, beca- and again, like, you can even go all the way to the newsreel. It's like, we're going to tell you what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, Learning the plot, yeah, we like know what the plot in the first two yeah, minutes. That's not important. So it's no. not about what happens; it's about why it happens. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, if you think of the the love nest thing is like mm-hmm. a great example of that. Like you see that happen in the first like ninety seconds of the fucking movie, mm-hmm. and then, but that doesn't mean that that scene doesn't have weight when you get to it because mm-hmm. now you have an understanding of like where these different characters are coming from and why they do the things that they do, mm-hmm. um, and that like. In a way, like there's no more powerful way to sort of make that statement than to rob the plot of meaning by mm-hmm. putting it by laying it all out at the yeah. very beginning. You know, mm-hmm. like you kind of have to. The, the best way to sort of make you force the audience to focus on, uh, you know, the characters' emotions and their their you know their motivation is by robbing any mystery from the actual happenings of, of the story. You mm-hmm. know. Um, which yeah. is, a, like, again, that's a very innovative approach. I know, I'm trying to think if there was any movie, you know, before that, that's really taking that approach to narrative, you know, yeah. that's that's really just, like, doing away with the plot in favor of something much more complicated, yeah. you know? I mean, yeah, this, the root of many a non-chronological movie is in Citizen Kane. Absolutely. So. I, uh, Pulp Fiction jumped into my head while yeah, I was Pulp watching Fiction it. Yeah, Pulp Fiction, for sure. Um, I mean, and even, you can even, you know, I think you could probably even make an argument about, like, uh, Avengers, like Age of Ultron, um, with the idea, you know, in, the, in that it's, you, you kind of know the plot of that movie before you even go in, oh, there's, a, there's an evil robot, he's going to try and take over the world, they're going to stop him, and most of them are going to survive that movie, because it's a franchise, and they got to make more movies, so it's like, the actual, like, mechanics of what happens, and you kind of see it in Whedon's focus, like, what happens in that movie is kind of less important than, like, how all of the characters deal with what happens and, like, the the personal repercussions of all those characters and how they, you know, what happens to them as, you know, as a result of these events um, mm-hmm. and, and where it takes them. Because that's sort of what, and I was just talking about this with somebody last night, like, that's what makes Marvel... Uh, so successful, like, it, it's what separates them from, like, DC, or even from, you know, something like like all these YA movies. Like, the reason you love Marvel is not just because, oh, there's, like, cool action and, like, guys in capes and stuff. It's because you love all those characters. You like Captain America. You like, 
Iron Man. You know, like you want to see the, you want to come back to those characters and see them in whatever adventure they're going to have next. And you want to, and like, oh yeah, you want to see them interact with each other. Like you want to see Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and the Hulk like all in the same room and like having a, you know, joking around about stuff or having an argument about something because you you care about all of those characters. Um, yeah. It occurred to me the other day that we're coming up on a time pretty soon when they can start releasing character-based box sets. Oh yeah, totally. Like, like, kind of like the way the, they would do like those next the generation Thor Chronicles. Box sets. Like, yeah, they would do like those like, next generation box sets. Was like here are all the Q episodes or here are right. all the time like, travel episodes. What a weird thing. I mean, kind of awesome, but yeah. weird. Only you guys could turn a discussion about Citizen Kane <laughs> into a fucking tangent about. Well, if movies. we're if we're being honest, Daly did that single handedly. No, that's true. He didn't need any. You're help. welcome. <laughs> um, I just wrote down amazing lines because again, the the I mean, I, the me filmmaking is. Uh, is is amazing. Yeah, uh, unimpe- through like every unimpeachably shot. good. Yeah, the, the filmmaking, the editing, the cinematography. But again, I think it was Mankiewicz's script that really resonated. Yeah, um, this time around. So let's see here. Um, old age is the only disease that you don't look forward you to being cured of. Yes, such a good line. Yeah. Oh my god, I like I watched this on an airplane. I almost like jumped out of my seat and ran up and down the aisles. It's yeah, so good. Uh, memory is one of the biggest curses ever inflicted on the human race. Mm-hmm. That's and that's an interesting thing to say in a movie about memory to yeah. a certain extent. Yeah, how people like, remember your story and literally starting with a newsreel and like telling people about all the things in your life. Right. Right. right exactly. Um, let's see here. Those were... Jeff has many pages. I do have many are. pages of notes. I look like I'm one of those fucking reporters at the beginning. You do, because like, you got a little notebook. He's like flipping little, pages up like this. Pages. It's good. It's unassailably cool, except that he takes his notes with one of these little flashlight pens. Little flashlight <laughs> pens, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, uh, Kane, sort of responding to all the sort of discussion about he only loves himself, he's like, love on my terms, the only love anyone ever knows. Which I thought was really interesting. So mm-hmm. I wonder because you know everyone says, "Oh, he's motivated by love. He just had none to give." That was another right. good line. Oh yeah, know. sure, yeah. Um, but I wonder to what extent that's true because again, you're right, Daly, that we're only hearing this from people besides Kane. They're the one who are making this sort of psychological evaluation of it. Right. So is it at its root? You know, is he at his root like motivated by by love and and by a, you know a need to have all this attention and love and then ironically is unable to reciprocate that in any way is that like the root of his character flaw or is that what the people in his life are saying about him yeah like i and that's another that's an interesting unsolvable probably question right and it also you know it it kind of bears the argument of you know so okay if we if this story was told from his perspective like would it be very different like would Mm -hmm. he have you know different things to say or would he you know explain it in a different way than these other people are but at the same time if everybody you know tells your life story mm-hmm. with the same kind of through line, with the same kind of thematic, well, he just didn't have anyone to love, or you know, whatever, he couldn't connect with people, whatever. Like, if you, if you know, if you think you're living one life, and everyone around you thinks you're living another life, like, wh- which is more true? Yeah, and which story lives on? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, because this is in a way a movie about storytelling as well, and, yeah. and that plays into all the sort of journalism themes. So. If that's the story that gets told about him, that's what becomes true after Absolutely. that, a certain extent. But I like, I don't know, his his response to that, like, you know, we only ever love on our own terms, you know. So, I, I feel like that's 
It's sort of that's it's a line that kind of stuck with me, and I think that's it's an interesting like it almost belongs in an episode of Mad Men. I feel like that's something Don Draper would say. Like, totally, we only love on our own terms. Oh, that's absolutely, the only love yeah. anyone knows. You that, know? I mean, I can't believe that isn't a line. I know exactly. Yeah. So that's I think that's an interesting idea. Uh, well, that's uh, that's about all I have from my my phone scribbles from my. 35,000 feet. I mean, I've just got lots of just, like, shots and stuff that I like, so I yeah. don't know if I have tons of, like, you know, substantive things that we could really... Well, that's fine. We're, you know, we're, we're coming up on probably a good amount of time here. Um, yeah. Should we... Should we... Dare we? Do that thing? Sure. Heart of the Ghostbusters? I think we gotta do that thing. Okay. Heart of the Ghostbusters, who's your drinking buddy? Who do you wanna... Who do you wanna have a drink with in, uh, in Citizen Kane? Uh, Bart, you're, you're, you're away. We'll go golf rules here. You're farthest oh, away. Right, you I'm away. It's, it's, your, it's your honor. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. Is it? Um, <laughs> so my two choices were number one, faceless reporter Thompson. I think. Thompson. Right? Yeah. Thompson. Totally. Totally about. I was choice. thinking about that, but I actually I'm, really love. Sorry, just because you said it. Uh, his his line when he's leaving. He's when he's read Thatcher's uh, uh, memoir, and he's like leaving the archives. And they're like, oh, did you find what you wanted? And he's like, not really. Well, what do you mean? He goes, are you Rosebud? What? Never mind. Goodbye, everybody. And he, like, walks out of the room. I yeah. laughed yep. out loud. Yeah. Yep. So he was my first thought, but I decided in the end to go with Bernstein. Yes. I, I also am on Team Bernstein, and maybe it's for the same reason, Bart. Is I love one of my favorite scenes in the movie for, like, almost purely sentimental or emotional reasons is the first interview, or the interview with him and with old Bernstein. With old Bernstein. Yeah. And he's like, and he tells that little story about, like, seeing the girl on the New Jersey Turnpike. Yeah. Or not, not uh, on, on the, on the, the ferry. ferry. The ferry, yeah, the like, ferry, There's yeah. never been a day that I didn't think of her. And it's yeah. just a throwaway line. But it's again, it's so much about memory and what comes to define your life that you never expect. And so you feel that Bernstein's got stories. Plus, he's got that like totally over the top forties Jewish like uh, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, it's Bernstein. Yeah, hey, he's like just a he, Bernstein. Yeah, he's like a step away from Zoidberg. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I literally I wrote down, uh, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, take the path less traveled here. You, you often do. I'm, no, well, I, I also like Thompson. Are you I, going with Orson Welles? No, I'm not going with Orson Welles. Because uh, he would drink you under the fucking table. That <laughs> is true. Uh, no, I wrote... Pound my son! the French ones! Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything? <laughs> uh, I wrote Bernstein or Leland is the heart. Um, which is uh, Leland, okay okay so they I are his have a heart dr- they are Kane's heart you know I that's would have a drink definition. with Bernstein yeah. but if I had to pick a friend it would be Leland see I think because Leland, Leland will give it to you straight Bernstein is loyal to a fault right but I think uh, Leland wins me over for that scene where he's tearing up the program when <laughs> that's he's, just hilarious he's drunk in the theater and tearing up for, and shredding that fucking program uh and and, and and you know I res- you got to respect him for writing the shitty review you know for knowing that his one job was to write her a good review and you just refused to do that to the point that like I almost got fooled a little bit when you know when it goes on it's like oh and then she's touring and she's singing in all these mm-hmm. other cities and you see all the other newspaper headlines saying like oh she's a smash and mm-hmm. oh the, everyone's clamoring for more Susan Alexander and like it wasn't until like the second or third one that I like actually looked at the top and I'm like oh. Oh, they're all inquirers. Mm-hmm. They're all Kane newspapers. They're yeah. all bullshit. You know, yeah. like for a second, I because w- I forgot the story for a second. So I was like, oh, is it 
that she just sucked and then she got better because because there's that whole scene where where Wells like forces the teacher to like stay with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, oh, did he j- did she get actually get better? And it's like, no, 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 no. It's all it's all it's all but I, That's one of my favorite scenes. I think is is. Wells is, is Kane writing the rest of that review. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, that is such a Which amazing also, moment. Yeah, and it also pays off really well later when she's got all the newspapers spread uh-huh. around her and she's like, oh, and he wrote this shitty review and I can't believe he's still your friend and you wrote him a check for $25,000 and she doesn't know that he wrote the shitty review mm-hmm. and, he, like, and that never comes to light for her. I think that's great. Yeah, well, and I think it gets to Bart's thing too. It's like, is he really like, you know, uh, self-important or really like self-loathing? And I feel like it's the self-loathing you know, Kane. From, from a Kane? Yeah, yeah, that writes that review. Oh, totally, he knows yeah. on some level that she's a shitty singer, that she'll yep. never amount to anything, and that this is a hopeless cause. Absolutely. And so he's kind of, like, self-flagellating in that moment, yeah. like, just writing the shittiest review that he can And I think that her. those are, like, the two sides, you know, Bernstein and Leland kind of play those two sides of Kane, mm-hmm. where, yeah, Bernstein is, you're right, he's, like, loyal to a fault, and he will be there forever, and he will back him up, and, you know... Kane is dead, and old man Bernstein is still running the still running and the business, and he's got the big portrait in his office, and and it plays into the stories that they tell because Bernstein is more affectionate. He talks about the early days. Yeah, Leland yeah. talks about when things start to go dark. Absolutely. You know, so. so and so yeah, Leland is the guy who actually kind of tells him, you know, tells him the truth, and he's the one who says like. Oh, when he loses the election, oh yeah, I guess he'll just have he'll be left to lord it over the monkeys. Mm-hmm. And he's the one in that scene where he's dancing in the window, and he says like, "Oh, but you know what happens? You know these guys were all belong to the Chronicle, but now you've bought them out. So, what values do they really have? And when do they when are they going to sell you out to? Mm-hmm. You know, like he's the one who's actually sort of asking the tough questions or presenting the tough truths. I think, mm-hmm. um, and so there's something very endearing about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think honestly, I think when it comes down to it, for me, I would. I would rather drink with old Bernstein or younger Leland. Okay, you know, because old Leland okay, is kind of sad. Fair. Yeah, old old Leland is 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 yeah. He's, I mean, he looks like no fun. Old Bernstein is a lot of fun. Yeah. but I would take young Leland over young Bernstein any day. I think he's I think he's way more okay. interesting. All right, so that's fair. Yeah, because I think yeah. I think Bernstein is one of those characters where like when he's younger, he just sort of runs around and he does whatever he wants to and he, he does whatever, you know, Kane needs and, and it's not until he gets older and has sort of a new perspective that he can kind of offer some, you know, the experience and the mm-hmm. wisdom of, of experience. Whereas younger Leland is sort of like, he, he always feels like mm-hmm. Kane's equal. Like he's his friend and he, oh, you want to be a dramatic critic? Sure, mm-hmm. you, can be the, you can be the dramatic critic. Whatever, no big deal. Whereas like Bernstein's like making, like running around and scurrying yeah, and making shit happen. Yeah, maybe, exactly. Yeah. So, so I would take young... Young uh, Bernstein, uh, uh, young Leland, or older Bernstein. Okay, uh, but right. I'll, I'll go. I'll go Leland. Since you will open Bernstein, I will go Leland. I will All take right. the road less traveled. Uh, well, I think that just about wraps it up for Citizen Kane. Uh, this is that's a good round, guys. Yeah. Um, I think this. I think this, I think that was a solid fucking discussion about a very old movie that is still goddamn amazing. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, next week it's going to be Mad Max Fury Road, and I yeah. think we're, we're going to talk about all the Mad Maxes, I think. Um, I watched the first one on the plane on the way home, uh, but I think we're going to... I'm making him rewatch the other ones. Cause... Yeah, because I've been watching... I yeah. saw Road Warrior itself by Southwest, but I'll, I'll, watch it, I'll watch it again. Fuck it, I'll watch it again. Yeah. Um, all I've of you s- out there listening in Radio Land, uh, as of today, hopefully, I don't know if it's going to persist, but... Right now, as we were recording this, you can buy The Road Warrior on Blu-ray from Amazon for six American dollars. Uh, that's a that's a thing you should do because goddamn it, that movie is worth so much more than six dollars. So I think I've only seen Mad Max. 
Not the Road Warrior, and I've only seen. You've not seen the first. No, the the first one. Yeah, the one with the with the girlfriend and the baby, not the one with Lord Humongous. Right, the very first one. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure it's the only one that I've actually. Well, you should really watch Road Warrior before this week because we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk about them all on the the next podcast. And I've only seen the Road Warrior. Yeah. So. Oh, this is gonna be great. And Jamie hasn't seen any of them, so this is gonna be fantastic. Um, so we're going to talk about the whole Mad Max, you know, hellish landscape, but, you know, specifically we're going to be talking Fury Road. I'm really fucking excited about it. Uh, the, uh, Warner Brothers lifted their review embargo this week, so the reviews all started pouring out this morning, and they are all, like, not just good, but glowing. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's one thing to have, like, all, like, good reviews, but yeah. when you actually look at the reviews, like, they're all, like, masterpiece. They're all, like, like ecstatic. Master class kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, like, to, like it is, in a way, it, it, it made me think earlier, you know, that sort of excitement level, that expectation level that we all kind of had for Avengers, where it's like, oh my god, the first Avengers was so good, we're like, that's the thing we're all excited about, and like, everyone was sort of like, yeah, no, it's good, it's not the best movie ever, the way we all kind of wanted it to be, but it's really good, like, that excitement seems to now be channeled back in like, no, 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 Mad Max is, mm-hmm. like, amazing. It is, like, a mind-blowing thing. The thing did, that we all I'm kind sorry. of were did, hoping for Did Avengers. you think that Age of Ultron was going to be the best movie ever made? Seriously? <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't think that, but I'm saying, like, the expectation level is very high. You know, it's like Phantom Menace, you know? Like, you, you know, you, you, ha- you come uh, in with ugh. these expectations. You know, the expectation level yeah, is okay. just so okay. high, you know? Uh, whereas I think the opposite is happening here. Like, the expectation level for Mad Max is, like, there are Mad Max fans, and their expectations are really yeah. high because they love they're Mad our Max. age or older, though. Yeah, exactly. Like, most people don't know what the fuck Mad Max is. Right. You know? so there's a lot of people out there that are sort of like, oh, yeah, Mad Max is some Mel Gibson movie that I may have seen part of before, but, like, whatever. Like, th- there isn't, like, this fervent fan base for mm-hmm. it, or at least not a widespread fervent fan base for it. But all of the reviews are so good. I feel like this may become kind of, like, the sneaky, awesome hit of the summer. Yeah. So, uh, kind of the way that, like, Guardians was last year, or uh, uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes a couple years before that. Um, this is very early, though. Those ones, have, you know, those were like, I think both of those movies came out in August. So they're those like, oh, those last sort of releases at the end of the summer when there's not much else in theaters and they can kind of grow and grow and grow. Mad Max is going to get you know inundated with other stuff very quickly. So we'll see how what happens. But, but I can only think of a few things that might compete with it. I mean, granted, we've not seen it, so who knows how good it actually yeah. is. But like, Tomorrowland... Uh, Inside Out and the new Mission Impossible. Like those are the only movies like this summer that I'm like, you know, genuinely oh, interested sure. in and excited about. I don't know how many other movies will really top. Yeah, you know, well, like, I'm like, I don't expect a lot of those to pass it critically. Certainly, yeah. um, and honestly, I like. I feel like. I mean, I guess it'll depend on how many sort of new recruits that Mad that Fury mm-hmm. Road can sort of bring on board. I don't think it'll be as big as Guardians. I don't think it'll be as big as Guardians either. But you know, I think it might outperform some of the things like um maybe not jurassic world um just because that's got such a fucking legacy behind it at this point but, no, but like, it's probably gonna be better than jurassic world i think it'll be better i think qualitatively i think it'll be a better movie but yeah. i bet jurassic world makes more money you know oh, whereas yeah. like i wouldn't be surprised if fury road ends up uh making more than like something like terminator genesis or Maybe. Fantastic Four. Maybe. Like, movies that kind of, like, oh, they're a little more familiar, they're a little more well-known, but, like... When is Fantastic Four coming out? They've got, like, the August slot. They've got the end of the summer slot. They're hope they're hoping to pull the Guardians and, like, be one of the last big comic book releases of the summer and not oh, a lot else around it. Oh, that's not going to work out for them. Yeah, I don't think it is either, so... Um, but, yeah, I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if 
from a box office perspective, it outperformed some of these titles that, you know, maybe have a little bit more riding on them, um, or at least have better, bigger expectations because they're more recently relevant films. Um, I hope so. I just feel like it's going to be a sleeper, though. If it's I know. I think, it's, I think it is. I, because I think it's weird. Like, no, I think it's going to be super weird. That's the thing that's coming Max out. Max has, rest. like, 18 lines in the whole movie. Yeah. But, like, the the thing that's sort of a common denominator in a lot of reviews is, like, how personal it is. Like, this is a very personal movie for George Miller, and this yeah. is not, you know, the typical blockbuster fare by any means. So I feel like the weirdness, like, it'll have word of mouth among, like, people who like Mad Max and just general film buff yeah, fans, totally. you know. And then the rest of people were like, well, that was kind of weird. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think the thing that might help it, honestly, at this point, is it stars Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. Like, I yeah. think people will go see a movie with Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron, like, even if they haven't Mr. seen Mad F. Max. Because, yeah, at the very least, I think they'll assume, like, oh, well, it must be a remake or a reboot or something. Mm-hmm. So I don't, like, if it doesn't have Mel Gibson in it, I don't need to have seen the other ones. Mm-hmm. Like, this must be, like, a redo. No, that's So, true. like, that's the, just the they need to of show, Tom Hardy might be enough. They, you know? they, they need to show that first trailer that came out for it. Remember oh, the first yeah. one? Yeah. Look, every trailer has been amazing. No, no, no. That, that first one came out of nowhere. I know. And it was amazing. I know. That's oh. one of the best trailers I've ever seen in my life. Oh. All right. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Uh, so next week we'll be doing all the Mad Maxes, uh, mostly Fury Road. Um, Bart, you are not on the Twitters. People cannot find you on the internet unless they can figure out what your password is to Twitter and then hack your account. Well, let's not encourage that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Anonymous, did you hear us? <laughs> uh, Jeff, where can the people find you on the Twitters? And you can find me at Ari Grote, A-R-I-E. G-R-O-T-E. There you are. And uh, you can find me at mdaily01. Uh, and, of course, the blog is uh, dailyscreening.com. And then you can follow us here uh, on the podcast, uh, on iTunes, or on SoundCloud. Rate us, review us, uh, subscribe, most of all, uh, so that you, know, you get our shit as soon as it goes live. Uh, we've had fun talking. I hope you've had fun listening. Have a lovely evening. And a fantastical tomorrow. And a glass of Paul Masson. <laughs> <laughs>